So, Berto, I thought today we would just read listener and patron emails and respond to them. What do you say? That sounds like a plan. Today we have a special guest with us, Chad. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, Chad Bronstein. Yeah? What do you do? I have a small business. What's it called? It's called Time to Hire. What does it do? We help uh, companies find commission-only salesmen. So they should go to timetohire.com. Yes. <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed Berger family therapist. My name is Humberto Castaneda. I'm an architect, uh, and I specialize on Bauhaus. So before we talk about listener emails, I just want to mention that I was on the Station Wagon podcast with Mark and Julie. The Station Wagon podcast is a short, entertaining podcast, unlike this podcast, in Ooh. that they talk about various different topics. I think they're both psychologists. I know Julie is, and they're researchers, and I believe, Um this is a terrible plug because I actually don't really know that much about them, but, but I know that... <laughs> they do something. I know that the Station Wagon Podcast is what it's called. Station Wagon Podcast. They're lovely people. Wow. Funny, entertaining, quick. Uh, I want to plug for them. Plus, I was on it, and if they have me on it, then... And it's gone downhill. It's yeah. jumped the shark. They've got it. They need help at this point. So, all right. All right. Patron Michelle wrote in and she said, hello, Kirk and gang. That's you, Berto. That's me. <laughs> I request a requested topic for a future podcast would be adults who were sexually assaulted by a family member as children. Oh my God. I'd Dark. like to, I'd like to hear your thoughts on treatment and how others can be supportive, especially when the victim is resistant to therapy. Berto, I didn't ask you about this before we started recording, but did you want to talk about your own story? Sure. Um, I mean, it wasn't a family member, but it was someone that was trusted to guard me. Yeah. Your, your babysitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked about it before, but basically it was when I was five years old living in New York. Anyway, sometimes I would get babysit, babysat, babysitted, babysoit by... <laughs> babied sat. Babied satted. By uh, by the babysitter, by the by the niece, um, and she was twelve when I was five, right? Um, and uh, yeah, and unfortunately, uh, me and this other little boy, uh, who was I guess her cousin, must be yeah. Um, she would she you know she would make or no she would entice us to do stuff with her that was sexual, and. Uh, introduce us to concepts that were very confusing, but also we felt like we were being included in a special club. And um, then we would kind of compare notes, sort of, like him and I would be like, oh, you know. And I, I just I just remember feeling like, I don't know what this is. I don't know why, but I guess this is cool and I feel special, right? Um, and it was also like a secret. Like You, you don't talk about it with adults, uh, and so it kind of became a secret thing. Like I remember one time, I don't know why, but there was like a sleepover thing and we were at a hotel with like all the adults and stuff. Like we were all staying at a beach or something. And, uh, I was like, okay. Um, I, I had to take a shower cause I think, I guess we went in the ocean. So I was like, Oh, can I take a shower with her? You know, with the, with the girl. Um, and I remember the adults being like, um, uh, I guess, you know, like, but and I didn't even I didn't realize that by saying something like that it might make someone wonder. But at the same time, I I just you know you don't know anything at five. So right. uh, and the adults didn't seem to actually pick up on anything. Either. So it was really bizarre. And and 
later in life it occurred to me that she was probably abused. You know, it was maybe not for sure, but she probably was abused, and that's why maybe she was so, uh, you know, aggressive and and kind of abusing us. Yeah, um, she Did wasn't you- uh, physically meaning she didn't hit us or anything. It was just it was it was all sexual. But yeah, were there any effects? On your psychology and behavior later on, I do believe so. I mean, I, uh, I, I basically, I like for example, even when I was, uh, I remember I was seven years old, and uh, maybe I was, yeah, like seven years old, and I had a little girl friend. She, we weren't girl, like you know, boyfriend girlfriend yet, <laughs> but she was a girl friend, and she was eight. I think she was one year older. And we were in a ride, like some the adults were driving the car. We were both in the back seat, and I just started putting my hand down her pants, down the back of her pants. And she was like, she just looks over at me. And she's like, "What are you doing?" Because <laughs> you know, at eight, it's like, "What the hell?" If you haven't gone through it, yeah. whereas I thought like that's what you do. I don't know. That's is not what you do. And so I was like, I, I took my hand out. I was like, I, I don't know, <laughs> and it was really awkward and um so there was stuff like that but um i didn't think much of it and nothing really i don't think nothing really manifested until i was much older like i was you know uh out of high school actually and i it, you know and to me the way it manifested is uh acting out sexually in dangerous situations you know where i looking back on it at the time i didn't think at the time i just like oh i'm doing whatever you know but then in retrospect it was like, oh, whoa, I was just reenacting my abuse, but like maybe doing it when I have the power, but it's not like I planned any of it. It was just like, just in the hindsight 2020, it seems like I was putting myself in, in not safe situations. And when you look at what was happening, it was like the same sexual type of behavior and things like that. So my only conclusion was, all right, so I, I must have been role playing out, uh, that that abuse and this time i was in control sort of right uh but it wasn't ultimately healthy so i had to like you know when i started going to therapy i i um i talked about some of this it was actually kind of hard for me to talk about it with my therapist because she's a female uh and uh over time i got more comfortable but at first it was a little like awkward you know Mm -hmm. maybe to go into details and stuff and so anyways um it also affected how i treated uh, how my boundaries with women that I would know or meet and st- stuff like that, um, and not in all like oddly not in all circumstances. It was actually, it it, it just in specific types of relationship uh, like arrangements. Meaning um, that's really hard to understand. But <laughs> what I mean is this: uh, in some power differential situations, like maybe uh, a boss or something. See, like. Like if it, nothing ever happened at work, luckily, but it was more like uh, if it, it was a situation where it was someone I wasn't supposed to like act out with, uh. like someone's girlfriend or something like that, right? Um, or like I said, or like a stripper or like, you know, just things where it might be too risky or it might just not like you're breaking some boundary and yeah. stuff like that. And, and it definitely caused some unknown like i i was unaware that i was having behaviors that were uh, not right and then that they were probably caused by a lot of that yeah. and then over the years i finally started looking back on it and thinking oh whoa yeah i can't do this and started modifying my behavior but yeah definitely took a lot of introspection so you've had a lot a long path regarding this and 
and you've healed from the trauma or the difficulty or the abuse, and you've also learned how to not act out anymore in ways that are destructive to yourself and other people. Yeah, that's right. And something happened last year where um, I don't know why, but I came to this like full circle thing where I had this desperate desire to locate this person online. Really? Yeah. Did you tell and, me about this? No, I don't. I don't. Oh, I I might have, but not on the podcast. Okay. But anyways, I uh, I did sleuthing, you know, face like Facebook and other stalking, and actually, she wasn't on Facebook. She was, uh, but. I think I found the person, and of course, I'm not going to name anyone, but um, I think I found the person, and ironically, uh, she is a therapist. <laughs> really? If, if it's this person, it's, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And it would be hard for it. What if she listens to the show? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And so I, here's how I went this far. I, I actually called her house, and um, luckily, actually, I think... Her husband picked up, yeah. and I asked for her, and he said, who is this? It's like, oh, just an old friend. And he said, uh, but she's not here. Why, why are you going? What is this about? And I could tell he was like very like immediately like weirded out. By, and it's not like I said, yo. Is, you know, it was like I was being very professional sounding, yeah. but still he was immediately like, wait, who is this? What is this about? Um, and I don't know what that was about, but I, I basically just said, well, I just, you know, I knew her for many years ago. He's like, no, I don't think you can call here. I, no, no. And I was like, well, could what? you leave a message for her? He's like, no, no, I, I can't. No. What? I was like, okay. And so and then that was the end of that. Whoa. Yeah. So then I didn't try again. And I finally just like said, I probably, I'm probably done with this inquiry. <laughs> huh. That's interesting. That is suspicious. Yeah, and my fantasy in my head was I would contact her and we would have a adult, healthy conversation about what had happened and it would be healing. But uh, I'm the, sure it would The reality. Have, yeah, yeah it's, it's too bad. What a too mess. Bad. Well, you're a brave person to talk about it on the podcast. I'm this is sure, being recorded? <laughs> I'm sure people will benefit <laughs> from it. And you exemplify the complexity and the the lifespan of this kind of abuse and how at the time it wasn't like you're being held down or, or, you know, at gunpoint or something. No. And you even kind of thought you were in a special club, but the early sexualization of a child. And then also as you aged, I'm guessing you realized, wait, I was being exploited. Oh, totally. To be clear up until like maybe 19 or so, I always thought of the whole thing as like kind of funny. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't talk to, talk about it. But the first time I told a friend, I think I was, I had graduated high school maybe. And it, and it was like, oh yeah, dude, this whole, this thing happened to me. Ha, huh? you know, like, like, isn't that crazy? It, I had not processed it and I didn't have like the, the tools to think about it in the context of abuse. I just thought of it like, that's weird. Yeah, you know. If, in fact, when I was younger, I, I kind of thought like, "Oh, that was cool." Yeah, you know. And and uh, you know, it's, it's weird. I ran into her when I was twelve years old, and she must have been eighteen, five, seventeen, or something like that. I ran into her in a random party that like there was no reason on earth why she would have been there, but it turns out there was some weird someone knew someone that knew someone, and I was like so shocked when I saw her. 
but I wasn't like scared. So, you know, in a lot of abuse situations, I could imagine if it was physical or violent and things like it would probably be so traumatic to see the person. This was very different. I all of a sudden felt like, oh, I know. And I know that you know. And so I remember like looking at her and trying to make eye contact. And I, I kind of remember her like trying to avoid eye contact. But then it was really weird. It was like. And that, you know, I think we exchanged like two words or something. And she definitely did not acknowledge. She did. She pretended not to know me, sort of. Huh. Uh, but at the same time, kind of not. It was really weird. And I obviously, it's, it's a long time ago. So I might have been misremembering. But that was the last time I ever saw her. And it had been, uh, you know, seven years since I had seen her. Yeah. So it was weird. But yeah. Well, so patron Michelle asks about treatment and about how to be supportive. And uh, it's a complex issue, but in general, treatment, it depends on the nature of the trauma reaction. Some people have PTSD, simple PTSD or complex PTSD. You could develop personality disorders like borderline. You can develop addictions or you could have attachment injuries and other kinds of things like that. And so it, it really depends. The treatment is very varied. For you, the, tr- the kind of treatment you had was non-PTSD related because it seems like you didn't have PTSD. It was more related to the awareness of how the early sexualization was affecting essentially your urges and your moral compass. Yep. And becoming aware of that and how to manage that was, was your path. Yep. And, and being validated for having the feelings of hurt and exploitation that you had. And just having someone understand that, that's one path. But there are many other kinds of paths for people. Sure. For instance, if you had been sexually abused by your mother for 10 years, yeah. that's, that's a different kind of, right. of condition in all likelihood. Yikes. So whereas it's, if you're raped in an alley when you're 35, and that's the first time you've been sexually abused, then, then that's another yeah. different uh, potential treatment path. So, so it really just depends. But um, so, listen to the other episodes where I talk about that <laughs> kind of stuff. And generally speaking, when we want to help people, we uh, need to help them to heal from the abuse. That's that's the main thing. Whatever you know, abuse causes essentially psychic injury, and so healing is is the thing. And therapy can be a wonderful venue for that, but. Secure relationships can help, and so can self-help, which, again, I won't go into. But let me ask you guys, how can we be supportive when the survivor is resistant to therapy? You know, Berto, you might be able to relate from the other side of this or both sides, but how can we be supportive when an abusive, when you, you know, you know a, an abuse survivor and they're very resistant to therapy? How can we be supportive, do you think? I would say listening. Yeah. Let's say I'm in my 20s. And I cross a boundary that I shouldn't have. And my friend whose boundary I crossed is now really upset at me <laughs> and says, you need treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I could imagine me being like, well, you're weird and crazy. Sorry I did whatever, but whatever. And th- this like cuts two ways. On the one hand, I never thought that I was doing anything wrong whenever I was doing something wrong. Yeah. I just thought I was like, whatever, it's a party or I'm drunk or whatever. Like, what's the big deal? Can we all just get along, right? And uh, in a way, it was like I really wasn't 
you know, this wasn't planned behavior. It was, I was like acting out programming in a way, right? But at, at the same time, I was an adult. And, 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 and so from the receiving end, like people that have to experience the re-abuse, they, you know, from the one hand, it's really a lot to expect from them to say, hey, understand the context here, right? Uh, but the sad thing is that without understanding the context, it might be really hard to help someone get help. Yeah. Because let's say you're part of that family. And let's say, uh, in fact, you can imagine uh, this weird dynamic where uh, the adult abuses the older sibling and then the older sibling starts abusing the younger sibling, right? And it creates just like a whole mess of chaos. Um, If anyone in that family is trying to help, it could be really easy to point fingers at at the middle child as well. Right. And of course, in some ways, you you have to stop the behavior because now they're abusing the the younger sibling. But you kind of have to take into account what what triggered and how it happened in order to be able to to even recommend help or help, uh, which which can be so hard. I could only imagine being in a family like that and being angry and, and, you know. Yeah. The general advice I have is similar to what, Chad, you're saying is being a good friend and, and listening to people. But the primary thing that I can say, and this is based on feeling questions like, like this over my career, is that people need to understand that healing takes a long time. And there's not like a single thing you could do, even if you manage to somehow convince the person to go to therapy. It's not like them going to therapy for even like a few months is going to cure them, is going to, is going to be the entire right. healing for them. So it takes a, a lifetime. Like, Berto, with you, your brief synopsis of your path is 40 plus year or, you know, 35 plus years or something. I'm only 25. Yeah. And so (laughs) we're talking about a long path of therapy and thinking and acting. And, you know, you acted out after you were in therapy. So it wasn't like therapy fixed you. You know what I mean? And so, and as with all things in life, it's, it takes experience and wisdom and, and, you know, just having people care about us and, and realization things. I'm 45. I'm a therapist. I've been looking at my own psyche since I was quite young, which is what led me to psychology in the first place. And I'm still boggled at the things that I'm learning about myself that I didn't know before. I will say, I'm a therapist. I, I teach this shit. I should know this about myself. And, I, and so it takes a long time. So as a friend of someone who is resistant to therapy, understand that it's, there's nothing you can do in an intervention you know, way that's going to solve 90% of the issue. You know, you, the best thing you can do, like Chad said, is just be a good friend, listen and be there for them. That, that can do a tremendous amount for people. And if you want to, you know, slip in a comment now and then of like, Hey, you know, therapy might help then by all means do that, but don't lay into them or don't, be forceful or right. or judgmental if they don't go. You know, you know, one thing that could help is if that person trying to help has gone to therapy themselves, is to instead of saying, "Hey, you might want to go to therapy," just not even say that, but say something like, "Well, yeah, man, it's got to be so tough." Like, for example, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I go to therapy, and one of the things I've been dealing with, you know, like it's kind of like that, because then it does a couple of things. Right. One of them is the other person might be like, "Whoa." You go to therapy? And second, they're like, oh, it's helping you? Because I got to tell you, when I was in my 20s, I, I looked down on going to therapy. You know, and I, even though my, my dad was a psychiatrist, my stepdad is a psychiatrist, and for some reason, you know, they're not necessarily therapists, but, but my, uh, my mindset was, 
if if I needed therapy, there's something really wrong with me. Well, guess what? There was kind of something really wrong with me, and I needed therapy. But um, but the thing that triggered me, as I've talked about in podcasts before, it was a panic attack. If I hadn't had a panic attack, I probably wouldn't have gone to therapy because I was like, ah, who needs it, right? Mm, interesting. The other thing I'll say in conclusion is you also need to protect yourself. As a friend of someone who has been abused, not only is it painful to watch them suffer and to to be unhealed from that abuse, it's also potentially uh, true that you are going to be the recipient of some kind of abuse or some kind of uh, some kind of pain being around that person, and so. If that's the case, you have the right to protect yourself from that within reason. There are a lot of people I find that write emails like this, like Patreon Michelle. They're very nice people and they're very giving people and they are self-sacrificial. And I don't think that that's fair to people mm-hmm. that are around people. So, you know, protect yourself. Like karate or? <laughs> karate. Ka- karate. Karate. Well, that does it for this episode of Psychology in Seattle. I thought we were going to talk about more emails, but Berto's story was so interesting (laughs) that we stuck with it for a while. So that does it for this episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.